and the way it was running just did not look like any human. Immediately, it felt like someone was watching. Something was watching. We seen some eyes which were glowing a bright red. Welcome everyone. You're listening to this Sasquatch show brought to you by Nicola Valley Bigfoot. Sit back and enjoy. It is really hard to try to come in my mind to know what is the most memorable out of all of them. Um, When I got started doing actually field investigations back in 2005, uh, I came across a report in Texas when I was still with BFRO. It wasn't too far from where I was living at the time, and it turned out to be a four-year-long term investigation where a family lived in a somewhat rural area, and they had visitations um, that sometimes were weekly, uh, sometimes were biweekly. But it was in a location where I was able to go on the weekends quite often out of those four years. Um, can't even tell you how many hours I walked, uh, you know, being over there at the residence, being in the area, uh, working with the family. Um, very, a lot of memorable uh, encounters, uh, you know, visualizations, um, accidental run-ins because, you know, in the evening times, you know, I learned that um, the children that lived there and the older teenage boy that lived there would have, I guess you would have that some people refer to as kind of a hide-and-go-seek uh, events with them. Um, the It was a farm-type uh, property. Uh, they had horses. Um, they had the normal um, farm-type outlay without buildings and trailers and and you know, they would run back and forth between buildings and the kids. And we did it on multiple weekends um, and then actually kind of spilling over into some of the uh, pasture areas and some of the uh, cornfields that surrounded the property. And, you know, to, and, you know, again, that's, you know, that's in four years back when I first got started. And since then, you know, I run, uh, we run field expeditions in Southeast Oklahoma. We've been running them for the it's about the last 12, 13 years. And each one of those sometimes have, and then all the times that I actually logged in the woods, just, you know, going, uh, just a normal hangout, riding four wheelers and whatnot. But, you know, trying to think of the most memorable, they all are <laughs> memorable because they're so, <laughs> uh, impacting, um, okay. Well, let's, let, let's think. start with just the one that, like what, what, was there an incident that that maybe you know started the the, the group that you're in the research group that you you started? Was there any well, event in particular was, that got that going? It it did. Um, when I I left the BFRU in uh, the latter part of 2009, and a lot of the uh, people I had recruited had left with me, and you know we were hanging out on weekends, not doing anything in a formal setting. Well, while I was working in Oklahoma. Um, I was uh, approached by some different community, tribal communities to do some speaking engagements. 
And we were also uh, interviewed on a few TV um, uh, news channels where some incidents occurred where we, we were there. Um, and people a lot asked, you know, what's the name of our group? What's the name of our group? So, well, we don't have, we don't have a formal name. Well, roughly around about 2014, 2015, you know, we just decided to come to the point that maybe we shouldn't have a name for our group because, you know, we are getting, you know, invited to speak at it at different type of public events. And so all of us at that time, most of us were all from Oklahoma. Uh, some of us, you know, that are, come from tribal backgrounds, um, tribal citizens and, you know, people that, that grew up in, in that, that tribal customs and, and folklore so with the name sticking with the word of, of Oklahoma in it that's where we came up with the native Oklahoma Bigfoot research organization even though as research is a word that's in the name you know we're not out collecting hair we're not out uh you know trying to prove anything you know we also are, are part of a the Sasquatch genome project so we we are very aware of the DNA we are aware of scientifically there so our organization it's merely on the education side of things you know we're not out trying to gather dna dna has already been gathered so we tend to now put a lot of our effort into education and working with people that live in areas that have those long-term visitations so that's kind of where that name of that group originated from and, and do you do you post all all of your like research or sorry I, I guess you're not doing really research but all your findings and you know for your DNA collection like does that all go on your website? On our website, uh, we have a database that we have been collecting uh, sightings and reports of incidents around Oklahoma. Um, the DNA uh, is actually on the Sasquatch Genome Project website, which is um, under you know Dr. Mello Ketchum. Um, but our, most of our stuff is on our website as well as on our Facebook page. Not everything gets posted because we work sometimes on tribal property. And then there are times where there may be, uh, homeowners that live in certain areas that may not want, you know, their property listed or the encounter. And we respect that. So we would say probably about 60% of what we have been doing is on our website. And what is the website? If you get, for the listeners, the address for it? Um, it I, I would have to send you the link. Um, it was a Google site, and it's been recently upgraded. Um, we have a gentleman, Ryan White, which is our uh, – he's the uh, webmaster for that. I'd have to send you the link because off the top of my head, that the link to that is so long. Oh, so, oh yeah, yeah, I got I you. I to you. Okay, yeah. For the for the listeners, I'll 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 leave it attached to the in the description of the of the show here. Uh, when, when this comes okay. out, and, and but I know I, I did check it out though actually, and you guys do have some some very cool features going on. There. You got your own little mapping project going on, like for encounters and sightings and whatnot. Yes, yeah. You know, over the years, people have always asked and reach out, and you know we get messages on Facebook about well, where are the sightings? You know, where where's the hot spots? Well, everywhere is a hot spot. You know, hot spot is kind of a of a. Uh, you know, misnomer of, of, of kind of a thing that a lot of people that get involved in the Bigfoot um, phenomenon, they always ask where the hotspots are. Well, everywhere is a hotspot. Sometimes different times of the year, we may get reports from a certain 
regional location where other regional locations we don't get, but that does not mean that there's something not going on because, again, we have investigators scattered throughout Oklahoma, and they sometimes have their own sources of information they get from locals, the people that they know, where we may not be posting that activity on our website, but there is stuff going on all over all the time. It's just sometimes that's just not um, kind of out there where the public can see it. Um, you know, we're trying to improve that, but, you know, like I tell everybody, I said, just because there ain't nothing being reported doesn't mean there's not something going on because there is, it's just not being, you know, um, talked about. So, yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Like me and me and, uh, my two friends who we started and I use that term loosely very well as well, you know, the research group. Um, but what we find though is a lot of people just don't, don't really care to bother to report because they're so, um, Either they just don't want to have nothing to do with dealing with reporting this this creature, or they just don't really care. It's so common that yeah, whatever they're there, leave them alone. We're fine, no big deal. Right. Yeah. So right. I, I find that right. that's a a, lot, a big kind of a not really an issue, but I find that a lot of people do that, especially in the region that I'm in. Uh, it just they're they're, they're out right. there and everybody knows, and so just kind of leave them alone type of thing. But um, you, you guys actually took you're taking sightings and you're actually doing a mapping project for it. Do you guys have plans to expand that past Oklahoma or is it just going to stick in your, in your, your area there? There might be discussions about, you know, moving it. One of the things though, that certain organizations and groups do, some are particular to their state that they reside in where that organization is. And sometimes they stick to that. And sometimes they do, you know, multiple States. Um, I, when I was with BFRO, I took care of Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Oklahoma, and I found it sometimes difficult to try to keep tabs and, and keep you know documentation of what's going on in all three states. And what we kind of like to be referred to is not that we're the subject matter expert for Oklahoma. It's just that we have found that there's enough going on in Oklahoma that kind of keeps our, our hands busy and everybody, you know, tied down to different things or the projects that are going on. And, you know, there might be something in the future, but right now we are kind of focusing Oklahoma because there's so much going on, especially on tribal lands and in, you know, certain areas where there's federal property, wildlife management areas. So we right now just kind of tend to focus just on Oklahoma. Okay. That, that, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I guess there's, I guess there's plenty of, um, you know, I hate using the word researchers, but that's the only one that keeps popping up in my head. But I guess there's researchers in every state around there, I would imagine, right? I mean, Sasquatch isn't just limited to, to one certain spot. so Right. Yeah. So let me ask you, what kind of reports do you guys get from people? Like, in, More specifically, do you guys have any aggressive encounters that happen in that area? Well, there. when, when it comes to aggression... For my own personal experience and from what I have seen and what I've been doing over the last, you know, the last, you know, several years, how someone perceives aggression is how they perceive it is, is they were, you know, the aggressive encounter in their eyes was aggressive. And in my scenario, from what I've learned in my own experience, I would have something similar, even in the same general locations but they did not seem aggressive to me. It's just how that perception is, 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 you know, drawn from that eyewitness or that person that experienced that, that, um, you know, that incident. One of the things though is 
their behavior in some manners could be perceived by aggressive to some. Um, you know, again, we run expeditions uh, in Southeast Oklahoma throughout the year, and we've never had an aggressive, but we have the same uh, activity as people report that they would actually list as being aggressive, which we do not, because we do not see that as aggression because, you know, we're not, you know, i.e., for instance, rock throwing. Some people refer to that as probably an aggressive nature. Well, in our opinion, my opinion, that's not. Sometimes they do that. It's a juvenile sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's the older, mature adults. But typically what I have learned is is they're looking to see what type of reaction you're going to they're going to get from us. Uh-huh. Um, if they don't want you there in an aggressive manner, they're, you're going to know that it's 100% aggression, um, i.e., uh, you know, charging in a sense of, of what people refer to as a bluff charge. Now, we've been bluff charged over times, but it was more in a playful type manner than it was in an aggressive manner. But they, when they don't want you there, you're going to know you're not welcome there um, because, you know, they have the ways – of, you know, non-physical gestures, non-physical, there's that mood that you get. Sometimes you get that impression in your gut, in your mind, in your heart that, well, I don't think we should be here. We should need to go. There's only been two occasions that that's actually occurred where I was there and I felt the same thing and we, we were not welcome. So we departed the area and that was on some tribal land. But, you know, what people refer to aggression I refer to it as something else because sometimes, again, it goes right back to what I was saying. It's that how the person perceives that being aggressive. Yeah, yeah, I, I if totally the agree. Person is, if, if the person is there and they're doing something that's not being welcomed by the Bigfoot, I could see them being aggressive because they don't want you there. Um, you may be doing you know, your behavior or there's something you're doing that they do not agree with and they try to run you out of the area. Um, you know, some people say sometimes they get screamed at, oh, you know, they want me to leave. They, you know, it was a loud scream that rattled my, you know, rattled my chest and I just left. Well, they may mark that up as an aggressive manner, but in our situation, sometimes most of the things I've experienced, that was not the case that like in my, uh, experiences that wasn't, you know, they obviously did it for whatever reason, but you know. Then in a few minutes later, they were making cat noises. They were making meows like a cat, and they were tossing little twigs, and they were showing their eyes. You know, eye shine, and wow. and you know, so they, you know, it's it's each person's interpretation of what that behavior is. Yeah, ex- exactly, and I agree. And the reason I asked is because I, as I've been doing the podcast for the past, you know, almost a year now, um, what I'm finding is I'm not. You know, I'm not finding a, a ton of uh, reports where these things are actually uh, physically violent or, or purposely trying to hurt people. It, it's more of, um, and I, and I learned this from from another guest of mine, but he said uh, basically, you know, the you know this aggression that they show is actually a defense mechanism that these creatures use to, in effort to get rid of you. They, they don't really want to hurt you, but they need you out. Right. They need you gone. So, right. I, I just and and I don't want to find one. Actually, is how I should have said this, but. I just can't seem to find a, a violent encounter that if there are, they're very rare and few and far between. Like there's got to be some kind of extraordinary circumstance for these creatures to be, you know, out to kill, so to speak. Well, for the most part, they're what I'm finding is that they're, they're just, they don't want you around. So they're going to use a fear tactic to, uh, 
uh, get rid of you. That's correct. Well, and they understand what happens if they, I, I am very well, in my opinion, aware that they are aware if their aggressiveness it results in some type of physical encounter, they understand, you know, if you take it, think about it from their standpoint, think about it from them for just a second. If this is the way they think, if I go after this human, if I go after that person, if I go after that person, there's going to be more of them coming out looking for me. So why stand a chance of trying to cause that situation that causes more harm to my family? Because sometimes a lot of the times the things that I have heard in the past, they had little ones with them and somebody was hunting or someone was doing something that they probably perceived as a danger towards them. And then they acted aggressively to get that person to leave because they're, you know, they're, they're trying to protect their family as well. Yeah, that's so a, that's very... I think they're very well aware that if they cause harm, there's going to be more of those coming out looking for me. <laughs> so I think yeah. they, they are just as smart as we are. So they understand they don't want to cause themselves any undue harm, you know, in that, in that manner. So that shows very, um, very high level of intelligence as well. Don't you think? I mean, like a bear wouldn't, you know, they are wouldn't very, think of the consequences of, of eating a person. Like they'll just do it. They do. You know, a lot of my knowledge about their intellect and about their, their, uh, intelligence and the way they are and the way they behave and the way they interact is comes from a lot of tribal experience talking with elders and my own observations and you know talking with different people from around the state as well as people from other states because i through the sasquatch genome project um i act as a tribal tribal liaison so basically sometimes other tribes have reached out to dr ketchum in the past members of tribes not you know the actual government part of the tribe but you know citizens of the tribes and i've had conversations with them you know i've had conversations with people from the west coast and different parts of the state in their descriptions of, of how their tribe perceives them and how they interact and how they have things happen are similar to what we have in Oklahoma. So a lot of times, you know, we have that borderline, that, that, that average line across the board of this is what normally happens. This is what typically happens. And there are rare cases going back, you know, going which, you know, different directions of that, of that little line across the board about, what happens so there's isolated incidents sometimes but if you go back and look at what the person was doing that actually probably caused that situation was because the person was doing something they probably should have been doing in the first place that's what caused that particular bigfoot to take the actions or the mannerisms or the behavior it did like just briefly going back to the uh, uh, encounters you guys receive what, what's a typical encounter that you guys will, will get and go out and investigate well, you know, we, we take our share of roadside, you know, we refer to it as roadside uh, sightings where people are driving down a road and one crosses in front of them. Um, somebody's out fishing or they may be camping or hiking and they had, you know, either one or two things happen. They didn't know the person was there and the person didn't know they were there. And, you know, there was a by chance, you know, sighting. But most of our, where our bread and butter comes from, from our organization is where people reach out to this that may live in a rural setting, uh, sometimes close to a, a large city, but most of the time it's in a very rural, sometimes remote area. And they see and hear something on an ongoing basis. And they're not, they're not comfortable with it. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what they're seeing. They, they may see what they have been seeing and know what it is. 
And what we do is, is on behalf of that, that landowner, sometimes that we will have an investigator go out and kind of do an assessment and say, Hey, yeah, you, you know, you definitely have something going on here. They may be crossing your property from point A to point B. There's a river over here and a wildlife management over there, or there's something that they're using and they're just cutting across that property. And sometimes they stop and, you know, stand and look in a window or whatever it might be. So we work a lot of times with those um, people living in those things, uh, th- those uh, particular situations. Um, and we take our experience and our background and what we've learned from other cases. And we usually try to help that landowner sometimes. And landowner may say, hey, I don't want them around. I got little kids. I, you know, I, the, you know, the fear factor is there. The unknown is there. Or sometimes they say, hey, how do we deal with this? You know, and, and we go out and do an assessment, look what's going on, look at historical reports from the area. Sometimes we find that, say, for instance, um, this person lives at location A. And location B, we took a report a year ago, and that's only a mile from location A. And then we start kind of finding patterns then in certain areas where we have a group of people that live in certain areas that may have them traveling in and around or through their property. And then usually we kind of put connect the, the dots and connect people together, and then they can talk and share. And it's kind of like a, a, a help, a, uh, I don't know what the word is, it's something kind of like a AAA for the Bigfoot <laughs> witnesses <laughs> kind of, because sometimes people feel better when they're able to tell their story to be able to say what's going on to people that's not going to look at them like they're crazy yeah. or, you know, just kind of blow them off. So, yeah, you know, we have places that, you know, that the, the a property where the children see them all the time, the children, you know, the, the mother will go to the door and see where the kids are at. They're in the front yard. Well, there's a tree line you know, less than 50 yards away and they hadn't looked down there and notice the kids are waving towards the woods and they look up and all of a sudden, you know, there's one sticking his head out of the tree line, you know, waving back at them. So, you know, there's, you know, instances like that. So it's in, you know, we have, you know, some tribal communities, um, about a, a couple years ago, we had a tribal community in South central Oklahoma that was a small community just under a hundred people and they were all tribal citizens and a river was nearby and everybody in the community, everybody in the neighborhood was seeing them. They, you know, they were just blatantly walking across the back of people's pastures and walking across, you know, areas where the community center is. And, you know, people just like, what is going on? So, you know, we had a couple of investigators go down and, and, and sit and talk with the, the, the people in the community and, kind of we went in and did like a town hall and kind of explain what we know and what we've learned, what we we've done and, and just kind of give whatever advice and whatever assistance we can to help them. Cause sometimes people, you know, understand that they realize that, you know, well, my house is right here. Why are they cutting across my property? Well, they don't understand property lines and they could probably care less about property lines. And they see that, it's an easy path to go from here to there and they cut across your, your property. So, you know, we, sometimes we we have to work with the, the homeowner quite often on a regular basis to say, you know, that, you know, you're either going to have to figure a way to learn to accept it or, you know, in some cases we've had people move from the property because they just, you know, it, it was just too much, but 
Yeah, I was going to ask you, ask you, know? you that. Yeah, it, it just it must be easier to try to educate the homeowners and the landowners uh, as to what these creatures are and what. And they're not really bothering people for the most part, are they? They're just kind of. No, they're not. You know, when people refer to it as being a nuisance, you know, we uh, there's an area in northern Oklahoma, a tribal uh, actual an actual reservation. And, you know, the Bigfoot sometimes will come across and, you know, go through people's trash and knock their clotheslines down, you know, and, and sometimes you can consider that being a nuisance because they are, you know, they're just like a, a neighbor's dog that is getting in their trash and, and causing problems. And, and, you know, they go outside and yell at them, they run and go back across the river and, you know, go back to wherever they hang out. So, you know, it's just, it, it's kind of a mixed bag of what goes on. Um, you know, we, we had... Several, several years ago, a young lady, a single mom with two children, lived in a trailer, lived out, uh, out in the country, and she was fearful, and she wanted to know what steps she could take, and I said, well, you know, first off, you know, don't ever show aggression, because um, you never know what that is going to end up being, you know, you know, went and visited her, her home, visited the land, and noticed that backside of her property was fairly heavily wooded. And you could be in the woods almost all the way up to the back of her, her trailer. And I said, well, here's a couple options. I said, you know, you're in the rural area and there's probably more than one reason. Maybe you should maybe have those woods and those, the, the foliage and stuff kind of cut back away from the house. One for just a plain obvious reason, because in wildland fires, grass fires, that's how fires get to a house because the woods are too close to the home. So you cut a fire break between the house and the edge of the woods. And at the same time helped her, you know, get that done and then actually put up security lights that, that are on the side of the home that face outward, not inward, but face outward. And when you, when the sun goes down, those security lights come on and it lights that part of the yard and that part of the property up. And that actually kind of nine times out of 10, that kind of alters that approach from the Bigfoot. Sometimes they don't like to approach when it's all well lidded. So that did help her in that fashion. It kept them a little bit further back away from the house where she felt a lot more comfortable with. Yeah. It's a very simple yeah, solution like as well. That. Right. Right. Yeah. These creatures are really intelligent and they, obviously they know, you know, the, the lights are pointing at the forest and, or the woods, right? They just, they just know to avoid that stuff. And do you ever recommend maybe game cams or something like that pointed towards the? Well, we have. Um, I noticed in my own early on in my investigation at that property where I was at four years, when uh, and it was in my basically my amateur hour. We uh, I actually was funded and got some uh, some trail cameras and some sophisticated uh, you know technology to try to get them on video, and when we would put those things on one side of the house now we tried the best we could to try to use some law enforcement style techniques of putting cameras in places and utilizing certain artifacts of the home to to make the camera well hidden but what i learned and what i have seen in the past is they're always watching and then we tell people they're always watching so you can't trick them so what we did is when we put say for instance it was say it was the south side of the home we realized the activity stopped on that side of the home and it started on another side of the home. So we decided we'll take the cameras and move them. Well, the activity moved. So through the years, what I've learned is, you know, we'll visit like with that, that, that lady that lived at the trailer. I had some old, old 35 millimeter style 
choke hammers. And I said, they don't work anymore. I said, you're more than welcome to have them and just blatantly put them up, just put them up where you can see them. And that actually stopped the approach from them coming from that, that direction. So cameras do sometimes aid in that, in helping kind of keep them from getting that too close to the home. So, you know, they, they know what they are. They know what the, you know, they may not know they work or may not work, but we have found that that actually has helped landowners and stuff try to keep them further away from, you know, approaching the home. So. Have you ever, and I don't mean this to be taken the wrong way, but have you ever had to deal with somebody who just wants to come, wants you to come out and just guns blazing and, you know, let's just fire into the woods until everything's dead type of thing? No, um, never really had anybody that had that type of, of a approach or, or an attitude. Most of the time, most everybody goes, I just don't want them coming around the house. I just don't, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable with them coming around slapping us out of the house when I'm inside the bathroom. So, and I said, yes, I understand. I said, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very familiar with that because, you know, I've stayed in cabins in Southeast Oklahoma and plus, you know, places where I normally stay and they're, you know, they come up and slap us out of the, the walls all the time and throw things at the windows. So I have come accustomed to it, but I know it's unnerving to people that probably have never had that happen. And, you know, you know, if you think about it from their standpoint, you know, they're in their home. They probably lived there for 20 something years, never had nothing happen. And now all of a sudden there's something out there that's nine feet tall, seven, 800 pounds that are, you know, throwing things at your house. So I can see where people do get unnerved with that. Um, you know, going and, and I've ran into some other organizations that they feel that a paramilitary style approach to try to take one for science, but all those organizations and all those projects I've ever heard happen never ended the way they want it to end. And so, you know, our vow to that situation to explain to people that it's probably not the best thing to be doing is going in the woods blazing, you know, with, with firearms and stuff, because you really don't know what is there. You know, just like any firearm safety, you need to know what your target is before you pull that trigger. And just because there's something over there around moving in the bushes, screaming and growling, that doesn't mean that that's exactly what that is. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so you use education basically as your as your main weapon to to help with homeowners and landowners who are who see these creatures as as problems, which they're not really doing. They're just very very curious, right? Right. Yeah. Right. You mentioned earlier that you, you were dealing with, um, you know, house slaps and, and things like that. Let me ask you, because I, I actually do hear that quite a bit. Like, what do you think that is? Like, what is that a territorial thing or do you think that's just a aggressive? Well, or? no, no, no. It, it, in my opinion, just what I've seen, that, that's they're wanting you to come outside because, for instance, and, and this is just one occasion, but it happens a lot. So we're outside doing our thing. We're up probably cooking, eating, we're going out, riding on foolers, and we're kind of hanging out in a field or something, and we, you know, we hear them, we holler, they holler back, you know, and hey, you know, they're out there. Well, midnight comes around, like, well, we're tired, we're going to go in, and we're inside, you know, 10, 15 minutes, and all of a sudden you hear something walking across the porch, you hear a, a slap, or you hear something, you know, fiddling with something outside, and, you know, it, what I've learned is, is you know, they're not done. They want you to come back outside. <laughs> now, sometimes, you know, people live in a rural area when they come up and slap, you know, obviously you don't know what's in their mind. You don't know why they slapped it, but nine times out of 10, just in my impression, that's not 
from what I have learned, that's they're not trying to scare you. They're just trying to see what you're going to, you know, are you, you going to come outside? Because I have a feeling they kind of get, that's their interaction, I guess. You know, you know, again, you don't know what's in their mind, but nine times out of 10, what I've learned is they're just, you know, they're, they're coming up and letting you know they're there and saying, Hey, I'm out here, you know, come on out. And of course, you know, you, you come outside, you step on the porch, turn the porch light off, you step outside and they retreat back to the woods and you go inside and they come back and do it again. I think, you know, they kind of get a game out of it. That's just, you know, that's just the things that I've experienced. So yeah. Yeah. Not saying that it happens every single time, and that's the reason every time. But yeah, yeah, it actually happened to my daughter, who's who was thirteen at the time, and it it, it looked in it looked in the window as she was showering, and it it, it kind of changed her for a little bit. So, and it actually did. I think it right. did slap right. the house as well. But you know, and I had to explain to her, you know, that it, it didn't really mean anything. You're safe in the house. It's not going to come in the house. It, it knows better than that. So, well, I mean, just for instance. Many, many, many years ago, a buddy of mine were staying at a cabin because we also we also organize and run the Oklahoma the Honeybee Bigfoot Conference. Well, we come in a couple of days ahead of time to help get things set up, and we were having some of the speakers staying at a cabin where we were at. Well, we came in a couple of days early to just kind of hang out, you know, have some downtime, relax, and this particular cabin, and we were in there just he and I. He went in, he was in go take a shower or he was going to go in there and clean up. Well, I like at that time, I like in that cabin, I like sleep on the couch because I can actually lay on the couch and look out both of the front windows and see them when they're walking across the porch or when they're out there walking in front of the cabin. Well, this particular evening, they started tapping on the window of the, of the bathroom that he was in. And he opens up the door and goes, Hey, tell him to quit. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to <laughs> go to, you know, take, you know, get cleaned up. And, so I jumped up, went over there, flipped the porch line off one or twice to let him know, hey, I'm going to come out. Opened up the door, stepped out, and I just yelled out, said, hey, can we have some peace? Knock it off. Let's do it tomorrow night. There'll be more of us here. Went in, they left us alone. And, you know, that's, and I tell people sometimes, I say, you never know what happens. It sounds funny. It sounds weird. But, you know, I've had even some homeowners say, and I say, when well, it gets to the point that you just, you're trying to go to bed and you're out there making a bunch of noise and rattling things around and stuff. I just go out there and tell them to stop. And most of the time I've always heard that that, that took care of it. Wow. That, that's simple, right? Well, sometimes it, I, there's only one occasion I know that didn't work, but most of the time I've always heard positive, you know, outcomes when I just tell people, say, this may sound funny, but just go out there and tell them to stop. And they do. So do you think they understand for what this? it is? It worked. <laughs> I yes, I believe they do. Like, I believe they, they do. understand like our um, our languages, I guess, or just the, I guess our mannerisms, so to speak. But well, I will take that from a tribal uh, aspect. So many many years ago, when I was having a particular conversation with one tribal elder, and I've had many conversations with other elders with different tribes, but this particular elder was uh, very. Um, helped me a lot to understand and one of the things and i've heard this from others that you know he he said that his father had told him now this would be in this elder was he was in his 80s and his father um you know in that generation prior would have been in his he said his father was probably in his 20s and 30s i think time frame so you can tell how many years ago that would have been that you know he was the understanding from his father that 
their elders of the tribe used to speak to them in their own language, meaning, say, for instance, like it's, uh, say, like it's, uh, uh, you know, Chickasaw. Uh, well, the Chickasaws, the Seminole, and the Choctaw, and the Creek all come from the same Muscogean language uh, of, of, that, of those tribes. And at one time, there was one language, you know, and the tribes broke, and then they became the Chickasaws, the Seminole, and the, and the Choctaws. You know, they had their own dialects, their own parts of their own language. But I was understanding that they were able to communicate with them and that they could understand all languages because of who and what they are, of what their lineage, you know, what the Bigfoot lineage is. Not saying that every single Bigfoot can, but, you know, you have ones that stay in remote areas that don't want any human reaction. They don't want anything to do with us. Those are the ones that are up, you know, up in the mountains and they just they stay away. And then you have the ones that live in certain areas where they probably have no choice but to have some type of intercross action or you know interaction of some sort with you know us. And in the tribes, you know, they I've heard a lot of tribes sometimes they'll have to, you know, for instance, like a casino. Many years ago at Concho, Oklahoma, the tribe was having problems because people would go out of the casino, get in their cars, start to pull out. And the casino at that time was in a very rural part of Oklahoma. And they would just be standing out there in the field and they would be coming up close to the backside of the casino, digging in the dumpsters. And the tribe would have to, you know, go down to the river and bring gifts, fruit basket or whatever, and, and say, Hey, look, you're causing us problems. You know, can you stay, can you stay on this side of the creek? Can you stay on this side? And here's this, here's a gift for our respect. Say, Hey, could you, can you, could you not come up around the casino? And then that, that helped. So, you know, in my opinion, they very know well what's in your heart. They're very perceptive. They know what your intent is. And I think they do have, not all of them, but I think they do have some of that intellectual aspect of them that they do understand the language. Um, I've had very, I've had several occasions where I've heard them use English words. Now they either were mimicking what was being said, or they're saying it. Um, you know, I've used the Choctaw language a few times and had replies back, but the reply would have been in a in a fashion that that's the same word that you use. So are they just mimicking what I'm saying, or are they actually replying to what I'm saying? So, you know, I, I you know, I there. People don't give them the credit to the point of their intelligence. I think they are extremely intelligent. I think they are very perceptive about our world, and they're very perceptive about what goes on. They don't need to know what a computer is. They have no need for a computer. But their intelligence level aspect of, of knowing, they know who they want to be seen by. That's the other thing that I've learned. Sometimes they show themselves for a particular reason. Now, when they cross in front of a car going down a road, I haven't quite figured that out yet because, you know, as a kid you used to play hide and go seeking and you could sit on the side of the road and let a car go by and you, you know, at nighttime you see their headlights. So you wait until the car goes by, then you run across the road. But why they cross the road in front of a car at night blatantly, I still haven't quite figured that one out. Yeah. I, actually, I was thinking about that too a couple of weeks ago. I was like, what? Cause I had a report, a couple of, uh, I had a guest on the show who actually said that, you know, it, it crossed the steps or crossed the road in like three steps. And I was like, well, why would it? Why wouldn't it wait until after the car passes and then cross it? But it, for something that 
you know, for a creature who does not really want to be found or wants to be left alone, you know, it, it, sometimes it's baffling because, you know, they, they do show signs of extremely, extreme intelligence, but other times it's like, well, why'd you do that? Cause that didn't make sense, but more mystery yeah. to solve, I yeah. suppose. Now, now you mentioned that right. you spoke to right. some elders in, in your tribe, like what is the general uh, outlook? Cause I know each, each band, well, we, we refer to our, our tribes up here in Canada as, as bands. Um, but what, right. what, what is the differences that you're finding between different tribes in your area, uh, in the belief of, of what, you know, Bigfoot are? Well, most of them refer to them as another tribe of people. There are another tribe of people that tend to want to live away from us for whatever historical reasons there may be. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's certain biblical implications of, of some of that. I, I've, I've had conversations with some elders about. Um, you know, their, their stand is to just leave them alone. Don't go looking for them, which we don't, you know, we, we don't go looking, but we know where places are where we go sometimes. And we go just to hang out and, you know, they show up because they know we're there. You know, you know, some people call that, well, that's a, that's, that's being two faced. you you put yourself in a position because you know, they're going to come well, but we're not going looking. They can come if they want. So sometimes, you know, we go to do what we're, you know, we go to hang out. Sometimes they don't come up, but a lot of times they do. So, you know, we, we say that it's on their decision. It's their decision if they want to come to where we're at and do whatever they do. You know, there's a few times they don't come around because they're probably off doing something else somewhere. Yeah. I, and kind of veering off that, but staying on that same track, though, is that I watched a video on your Facebook group page there that where you had taken a young fellow out and who was a, a non-believer and, uh, you know, within a short period of time, he had his own sighting and now, now he's a pretty, a pretty staunch believer in, in, is that something you guys do on a regular basis? Take people out? We do, we do expeditions and, you know, our, our first, our first rule of thumb is, is we can't guarantee anything. We don't want to guarantee anything because we don't want to, you know, you know, you have some people sometimes that are superstitious and whatnot. I'm, I'm a little superstitious, but I've always learned to realize that we can't promise anything. And, but his, we have, I went back and I was asked this question one time. So I went back and looked. And over the years, we have roughly probably taken out, and, and there are certain years we'll do six, seven, or eight expeditions a year. Some years we have to do less because of the weather or, all, you know, our jobs or whatever. We just can't, you know, we can't get them, get them booked for the weekend. But we, we have roughly taken probably over 800 people out in all these, you know, 13, 14 years. And plus I was doing the BFRO expedition. So I have actually had a lot more people out than that. But if you take out 800 people, a good 30% of them probably have seen one that we know of during the day. Um, unknown amount have seen them at night because, you know, we'll go out on a, sometimes it's a full moon. Sometimes it's not, you know, some people have night vision. Some people have a, a thermal or something. So we have a fairly good average of people seeing them on our expeditions. And, you know, we tried to explain to people that there's a lot of times when you're looking, you won't see them. But if you come out of the cabin, walk to your truck to get something out, make sure you're paying attention. And sometimes when these people have their, their sightings, they're doing something 
that they didn't think they were going to have that sighting when they were doing it. And that's when we explained to people, just because you're sitting there looking in the woods, most likely probably not going to see it. It's normally when you're doing something else, you're getting up, walking to your four wheeler, you're getting up, walking over here to, you know, go to the restroom or you're getting up to go get firewood or you're getting up to do something. You're walking to your vehicle from the cabin or walking across the property. And all of a sudden, you know, well, there was one right there. I just caught a glimpse of him. So, you know, it, 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 it kind of varies. You're helping people by taking them out and, uh, you know, actually showing them that there, there's an, another side because the mainstream media tends to label these creatures as monsters and scary and, you know, they're going to eat you and all that stuff. But if you actually take somebody out into the woods and show, yeah, you know, that's not the case. They're not as, you know, these violent, right. aggressive, you know, well, no thinking. We've, we've, you know, yeah. we, we have a mixed bag of people that come. We have a lot of people that come that grew up in the city that don't spend a lot of time in the woods. And then there's times we've had, you know, a father and son, or we've had, you know, different people that come that spend all their time. They're hunters. They're avid hunters. They're in the woods all the time, um, you know, and, and usually by the end of the weekend, you know, I'll ask them and say, well, you know, kind of what's your impression, you know? And my fable question is, is now do you look at the woods differently? And they're like, yes, yes, because you don't know what's standing over there on the side of those bushes. One could be standing right there and you would never know it. And I said, that's correct. I said, so you look at the woods differently when you're in the woods. Now, one thing that I have utilized in our expeditions, one of the things that I've helped, you know, kind of help, I wouldn't say mentor people, but kind of teach people. One of my background is I do a lot with wilderness search and rescue. Uh, I've been involved in search and rescue for the last seven years. So taking those techniques that we use when we go out to find somebody that's lost in the woods, we use those in purely the observational skills. So when you're walking in the woods, you're looking for anything and everything. Well, if something's walking in the woods, it's probably going to leave some sort of sign at some point. Not all of them leave sign, but sometimes they do leave sign. But when you're in the woods, when you're looking, I mean, if you, if you know what, you're in a spot that, man, there's a lot of deer here. There's a lot of wildlife. Well, most likely, the Bigfoots use that too, because that's what they use to hunt, you know, cause they're probably hunting that deer and they're hunting those hogs and they're out there in that same area where you're at, because there's a lot of wildlife. There's a lot of, um, you know, plants or edible plants and a lot of, you know, roots and berries and different things that are edible. Well, if you have an area that has a lot of wildlife, a good water source and a lot of edible plants and stuff, most likely there's probably going to be some in that general area because they don't have to go very far to find that food. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I got a few more questions for you before I let you go here. Um, yeah. And, and it would be, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. I didn't ask you this because I have somebody from Oklahoma on the phone, <laughs> but right. a few, few months ago, uh, a news story went, you know, swept a wave through the Bigfoot communities, especially all over Facebook and, su and such with this Oklahoma lawmaker. And I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, but he proposed a $2 million bounty for a live Sasquatch. And, you know, the kind of, it didn't set, sit well with me personally. Um, I, I want to get your take on, on, on the, on the matter. And, you know, and from what you've told me though, that there's been a few changes to the, to the bill that was being passed. Yes. So, you know, when that story broke, I saw it and, and that directly affects me because our, our, Bigfoot conference and festival is in Southeast Oklahoma. Plus I run the expeditions and I work with a lot of different homeowners and different people in the Southeast Oklahoma area. 
And I realize that's going to cause some serious problems because we've had some problems in the past where there are, there are some of those groups, like I said, that take it upon themselves to conduct a paramilitary type style to try to shoot one for science. Well, those never ended uh, on a positive note. Well, um, being that he actually, you know, spoke of our conference in one of his videos, our president of the of the Bigfoot Conference and Festival had reached out to him, and uh, last month we actually had a sit down with him um, to kind of voice our opinions and and to answer any questions and to kind of get his side of it. And what he what I was led to believe was this was something that he had um, thought up on his own without a lot of research in a sense, nothing bad against this, just that he, he had didn't really reach out to anybody before him before he went forward with it, not knowing the consequences that he was going to be seeing, you know, cause you have a lot of tribes, a lot of tribes are 100% against it because this is something you do not hunt. This is something you leave alone. This is going to cause, you know, some issues from both sides of the fence, you know, per se. And, you know, when, after the meeting, basically what it was, left was that you know he was going to change a lot of language it, you know it was not going to be a hunt um it wasn't going to be anything related to any types of capture um uh you know trying to to you know shoot it with a um tranquilizer or trying to you know manifest something where they would actually get a body because you know we explained to him and we we sat and we you know we talked for you know almost three hours that, you know, you're not dealing with what you think you're dealing with. And, you know, there's going to be some backlash from all that, from various other organizations as well as some of the tribes. And he has realized that. So that whole thing is merely uh, more on the tourism side. And we explained to him, you know, we already have expeditions. We work very closely with the Choctaw Nation on tourism because Southeast Oklahoma over in the Broken Bow area, that is well known. There's you can go to almost every store in that part of of the area of Broken Bow and Hochtown has Bigfoot everything in there because that's one of the draws to Southeast Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So we explained it's tourism is already there. It's just maybe putting that effort into a better, well organized direction of getting that tourism more on the behalf of the Bigfoot scenario. So that way those other particular scenarios of the hunting and things are not because just about a lot of the lands that you'd even want to be on is private land and they're not going to allow that anyway. Plus you can't hunt in a state park or on a wildlife management area outside of a normal hunting season for deer, turkey, and bear. That's good news. So, so yeah, that's great. I'm happy that, you know, he kind of came to his senses, so to speak. And, you know, that's not really an issue anymore because I I just dreaded the thought of, you know, you know, uh, a bunch of people jumping in their trucks and heading out to the wilderness and just starting blasting at everything, which, (laughs) <laughs> it, it's it's not yeah, needed. it's not going to end well yeah yeah <laughs> you, you shoot well. you shoot and this is my own personal thought on the matter those you shoot one you just don't have that one to deal with <laughs> there, there's more that are going to come and you're going to have to deal with them that's, as well that's right and that's right because if you let's say for instance let's say you went into a particular area and you were allowed to hunt and you were on a particular piece of public land and you were hunting and you did shoot one now that's going to cause a situation for anybody else that goes into there afterwards. They may start seeing aggressive behavior because the Bigfoot's going to see that as if those people, you know, if, if, if the white man, if, if the people come into my woods to shoot my people, 
they're coming in here to shoot me. So now you could start seeing either aggressive behavior or you'll see them just leave. They'll just move and go on and, and go to another location. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And so, but that behavior, but that behavior also goes in their, you know, think about it from their standpoint. Then they are going to have fear of us, and there could be ramifications afterwards of them having more aggressive uh, behavior towards uh, a human, you know, a person, uh, because of that behavior that they are associating with us going out there hunting them. Let me ask you this real quick. It just occurred to me as you're explaining this. So is Bigfoot a, a protected species in Oklahoma? No. Not yet? No, it, no, they're not. Yeah. No, they're not. And they really don't need our protection. Their, their, their population is very robust. Um, the protection I think would be is basically is again, like what I said, if you were to, if you were to create a hunting season on them, then you're creating a situation where now you might start seeing aggressive behavior from them towards people that, uh, you know, say a family were to go into, uh, an area to go, uh, camping. Well, for instance, that group of the Bigfoots that live in that area, say they are used to having people shoot at them and they see them as an aggression. Most of the time they're probably stay away from them, but that's not to say because you don't know what's in their minds and not all of them sometimes are good. You know, every now and then there's going to be a bad one. Yeah. And if they see people, oh, those are the people that shoot at us. So they may take aggression on them. So, you know, you're creating a future of some bad, uh, (laughs) some bad blood between them and us. Yeah. And, and, you know, physically we can't, we can't match them. So. No. Yeah. So I'm glad that that really made my day. I'm happy that, that, uh, that that's going to be, that, that error has been corrected. So that makes me happy. So thank you so much for filling me in on that. No problem. Well, Troy, this has been fun, man. I really enjoyed having you on. This was great. If people want to find you, where, where can they find you? On Facebook? Do you, do you have a... Um, on our, yeah, on our Native Oklahoma Bigfoot Research Facebook page. Um, you know, they can find me on uh, Facebook. Or if they, you know, if they want to email, um, they can email me at um, H-O-N-O-B-I-A-O-K-L-A chito at gmail.com so basically that spells honubi oklachito at gmail.com because honubi is is you know where uh our home base is for our organization it's also where our conference is and that's where i spend uh majority of my time I, I grew up not too far from there and oklachito is the choctaw word for big people uh big person so well, say, it, um, say it again because you know in, in tribes you know they refer to them as as another tribe of people so they don't refer to them as an animal or a monster or anything i mean they're they're just another you know if you have something that has a family has children walks upright and has its own language what else would you call it there's no other word to call it except for a people yeah yeah and then and say that say the word again for for the meaning okla chito Okla is obviously, you know, for Oklahoma, Oklahoma is the Choctaw word for red people. I mean, Okla, you know, that's people and Chito is big, you know, big C-H-I-T-O is the Choctaw word for big. So Okla Chito would be big people. I got you. Okay. I'm going to write that down and have to remember that so I don't uh, forget it for the next time. Real quick, one more question before I let you go though. Is your conference happening this year? I mean, amongst amongst all the COVID and all that? Yes, it is. Excellent. Yes, it is. It's the it's the it's the first and second of October. It's the first Friday and Saturday of October. 
Well, maybe I'll have to get you back on before then. Maybe we can talk a little bit about what to expect when you guys yeah. are, actually have your conference yeah. and all that stuff. That'd be yeah, great. Yeah, I'll be more than happy. Right on. Yep. Okay, Troy. Well, this is fun. And just so for the listeners, I will post, uh, I will attach links to the website and their Facebook group when the episode comes out. And uh, thank you, Troy, so much. I really enjoyed having you on. This was great. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Thanks, thank, sir. Thank you again. And for thank the you. listeners, just hang in there. We're going to be right back. Stay there. And we're back, everyone. Back in time to pull the pin on yet another episode. I'm glad you guys are here with me today. I had so much fun talking to Troy today. So I got to give him a huge thank you again for coming on. Uh, and of course, for the listeners, if you want to check out his Facebook page, it goes by this. It goes by the same name, obviously. It's the Native Oklahoma Bigfoot Research Research Organization. Uh, go and give his page a like. He's got a bunch of cool videos up there, and he posts stuff. It, it just just take my word for it. He's he's got a lot of good quality uh, posts and and. A lot of information about Sasquatch, so so definitely go give it a look. And uh, if you want to check out his website, I will leave a link in the description of the of the uh, podcast, as well as if I post it on Facebook, I'll leave a, a link for it in the descriptions. So uh, go check it out. And let's see what's coming up next. Let's just push this little button, and we will find out what that is. On the next episode of this Sasquatch show, brought to you by Nicola Valley Bigfoot. It would go around our house because it had um, long claws and it would go around and it would scratch our house. It would mainly go to my daughter's bedroom window. It would leave handprints there on her window. So definitely give that a, a listen there when it comes up this Saturday. It, it's a quick interview. It's just, it's not very long, but uh, Imogene uh, returns. If you, I don't know if you guys remember Imogene. She was on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I believe the episode was titled ooh, Bigfoot on the Family Farm. <laughs> you think I would know this stuff, right? <laughs> oh, boy. You know what? I'm a, I'm a man of a certain age. and My, my memory isn't quite what it used to be. But <laughs> but anyway, so Saturday, there's a special, a special episode coming out. It's not very long. It's maybe about half an hour. It, you know what? I'm babbling. Tune in this Saturday and check it out. It's not very long. It's not really Sasquatch related. So if you want to skip Saturday, I completely understand. But it's still fascinating stuff because, you know, there's, there's other cryptids out there in walking around in the woods of North America. So they, they deserve some investigation too. So that's why I'm doing it. Okay. You know what? I think we've gone uh, long enough and I'm hoping you guys enjoyed today's show. Tune in uh, this Saturday, obviously, and then tune in uh, back next week for another Sasquatch related show. Um, I hope you guys are enjoying summer so far. It's been beautiful here, you know, other than my allergies kicking my butt, but, uh, I think I got it under control, you know, you know, fingers crossed. You guys sent me some good vibes because uh, I just don't need another summer filled with allergies. <laughs> I sound like, never mind. <laughs> okay, guys, I'm going to get out of here. And uh, to close the show, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close out a little different, different tune this time, but I think you guys will like it. So uh, I'll talk to you guys later. Till then. Bye. <laughs> Time